2: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yo, this is Doc G. Today we're going to talk gig work with the hosts of the How To Money Podcast, Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix. It's a great episode. Buckle up. Picture this. Two middle-aged, attractive people are sitting next to each other on a balcony overlooking a gorgeous and expansive panorama. They are each reclining in their own clawfoot tubs and have casually extended arms out to each other to hold hands. Such is the picture painted by a pharmaceutical company in 2012 pushing their latest erectile dysfunction drug to the mass consumer market. What the heck does this have to do with the gig economy? Well, my guests today have a simple and straightforward answer, which they discuss in a recent podcast episode about the insidious nature of gig work. Everything, it has everything to do with the gig economy. Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix are best friends with a keen interest in personal finance and a love for beer. They parlayed this interest into creating the How Do Money podcast. 20 million downloads later, they are still energized by the mission of reaching people with practical money saving advice. Joel and Matt, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Joel, I think I'm going to start with you. In that recent episode of How to Money that I just referenced, you start talking about gig work by referencing pharmaceutical company commercials. Why the comparison?
0: Yeah. So first, thanks for having us. Doc, glad to be here. And I think uh, the reason that we went with that, we wanted to kind of create this vivid picture of... When when you see those commercials for prescription medication, they're they're kind of weird. And actually, um, we talked about how they're they're illegal in almost every country. I believe it's the U.S. and New Zealand are are the only two countries where uh, pharmaceutical companies are allowed to directly advertise to people. But the Sometimes that those long lists that they come up with of uh, side effects are actually worse than what you're trying to cure. <laughs> and so uh, we talked about specifically a drug for restless leg syndrome, which I'm sure is a problem for some people, right? And you want to take care of that. Well, in the long list of side effects, one of those potential um, potential ones that you could face is uh, compulsive gambling. <laughs> and it's it's kind of random it's kind of funny except for the person that it actually happens to but because of that it's like well is is the cure worse than the disease and i think when we're talking about gig work it has there are some benefits right and um there've been a lot of good things we tried to cover those in this podcast episode as well of what the gig work has done for people's ability to make money in an instant um to find work like in, within like hours um, to use stuff that they already own to make money. But there are other things when it comes to the gig economy that are nefarious and that I think end up hurting a whole lot of people. It seems like it's this good, like the, the ad, just like the ad for that medication, it seems so nice and it's like, oh, it's going to make my life so much better. Uh, and then in the end, you're not you know taking into, uh, taking into account all of the other potential negative side effects.
2: Most people don't realize, but when the law was passed that allowed them to directly market to consumers, If they want to mention the name of a specific drug, they also have to tell you the side effects. And thus you get like that erectile dysfunction commercial where everything looks beautiful, wonderful. And hey, I want to be there. Just kind of like the gig economy, right? Hey, I want that life. I want that life. And then at the end, they like smash in a whole list of all the side effects and complications because they're required by law. So they try to really skip that in right at the end. (laughs) Which I mean, by the way,
1: I mean, Doc, you always do the best intros on your podcast. I mean, right? Like I. could live. you see the picture did you see it in your mind yes every single time uh when you tell a story you bring me into that space and honestly i'm, I'm not gonna lie I, I first thought you were gonna tell a little story about joel and i because you're talking about <laughs> two very good looking people hanging out on a balcony until you got to the part about the bathtub and the holding hands uh, <laughs> we haven't done that
2: <laughs> so matt let's talk about gig work You know, one of the things for me is I'm not sure I know what the definition actually is. So where did this term come from and what does it mean exactly?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of folks have talked about, you know, the rise of gig work today. Oftentimes we associate it with apps, but, you know, we did did a little digging. We uh, discovered that this goes back to jazz musicians back in the early 1900s. Uh, And it's kind of carried even to today because even as a photographer, I would often refer to shoots that i had as gigs so oftentimes anytime there's like this isolated work event i I feel like in my mind that's i think how the the term gig job or just a gig how that how that came to be Uh, but then of course that's evolved to what we see today and oftentimes we do associate it with something that's incredibly easy something we can we can do very uh, in a very short period of time uh, specifically on our smartphones you know it's also important to point out the difference too i think between Gig work uh, as you know we're talking about it right now, versus entrepreneurship and you know h- kind of hanging your own shingle, starting your own business because there is you know there's pros and cons to everything out there uh, but we we wanted to specifically address gig work because it has such a low barrier to entry. It's one of these things where anybody can become <laughs> a taxi driver essentially as long as you have a car. Uh, anybody can sit down and do, you know, solve some, uh, some problems, some software coding issues that this company is, uh, is doling out. It can just be too easy, I think, sometimes to enter that field. And we oftentimes don't think about the different consequences, uh, the, you know, the negative side effects that are associated with these, uh, these gig jobs. And so that's specifically what we wanted to uh, address when we talked about gig work. I
2: definitely want to talk about the consequences and side effects. But Joe, first, how big of an issue is this? How many Americans today are doing gig work?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a recent Gallup poll shows that one in three Americans has performed gig work, and that number's on the rise. So we're, we're seeing more and more people finding whether it's full-time uh, employments in the gig economy or whether they're just doing it part-time as supplemental income. Or maybe they're just kind of completely out of the traditional job market and still just doing gig work part time. And I think in some ways that has been a good thing, right? <laughs> the ability for people to, like I said, choose exactly when they want to work. To know that if they only want to work part time, they can. Um, if they if they do want to, let's say, leave a job that they hate, um, where they their manager or something is mistreating them. Well the great thing is you don't have to have necessarily as long as you can cut your expenses down for th- the time being it's like you, you can leave today and still uh, have income coming in to pay those bills um, while you know while you're looking ahead to the future and hopefully tr- looking to find something else. It is becoming more and more of an issue. that's part of the reason we felt compelled to address it is that there just are so many people in the gig economy these days, whether they're in it and they're making the vast majority of their income in it or whether they're just kind of dabbling and I think in particular people who are dabbling there's there's less of an issue right if you you're you're not putting all your eggs in that basket but for people who are saying like I'm making my full-time living in the gig economy there are there're more downsides for those folks
2: Matt what do you think has caused the gig economy to become such a big part of the American experience. Do you think it is the rise of technology and apps or is it the pandemic? What do you think has made it so common nowadays?
1: I think the desire for autonomy. Uh, Honestly, I think so. Entrepreneurship is glorified, right? It's like, oh, I, I set my own hours. I get to work when I want to. I call the shots and gig jobs are essentially a shortcut to be able to do that and you get that immediate pay you get that satisfaction of okay i, I did something today i was able to accomplish something but without the time the energy that goes into forming a, a company thinking through a business plan even hiring employees and so honestly when everything that we receive today is you know the fastest way to achieve x or uh the best you know the top tips to allow you to you know control your own life just whatever the the promises that we come across that are out there i i see gig jobs and, and gig work as that shortcut to autonomy when it comes to our time and what it is that we're doing without having to put in some of that additional energy that additional effort that goes into running your own business
0: we all know that the fastest way someplace isn't always the best way like sometimes the yeah. scenic route <laughs> sometimes the scenic route is like the way you want to go because hey this trip isn't about just getting from point a to point b but it's about going and checking out that waterfall <laughs> that we might've missed. And I think when it comes to gig work, like like Matt's alluding to, it feels like the easiest way to to get that autonomy. And in many ways, it is the easiest way to find that form of autonomy in your work, but it's not going to be the most lucrative. And there are other downsides that you have to consider because, yeah, you can, you can go 100% in that direction, uh, but then pretty quickly, you're going to be left holding the bag, realizing that there are other benefits of traditional employment or going all the way and taking the more difficult step of starting your own business that you're missing out on.
1: Yeah, it makes me think of uh, like the hair loss guys where they have like the cutout in the circle and they put the cardboard on their head and they just like spray the top of their head with <laughs> basically like, like spray paint. It's like, yeah, that'll get you what you're looking for. Uh, but there are some, uh, there's going to be some issues with that. There's
2: some limitations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's an interesting take when we talk about the gig economy as the easy button to autonomy. But as you were just mentioning, Matt, it's also the easy button towards entrepreneurship, but I feel like we're being unfair here because right there are gig jobs and then there are gig jobs. In other words, you know, there's your run of the mill Ubers and then there's things like Fiverr and Upwork. Do you look at those as the same type of thing?
1: No. I mean, ultimately they are uh different jobs that you can it by you know, hopping on an app, but I, th- I think one of the distinguishing factors between something like TaskRabbit uh, versus something like Uber is the fact that with TaskRabbit, you are you have the ability to you know expand on a profession on a skill uh, that you can eventually lead that can transition you into just like a, a fully fledged business, right? And so. I I think when you approach gig jobs that way, when you think about them from the standpoint of, oh, this is something I will eventually be able to scale up into a legitimate business, I think that is what sets apart uh, some of these businesses or, you know, some of these gig jobs like uh, that that you can find on Fiverr to like it allows you to transition that to like a legitimate, you know, full, fully fledged business as opposed to uh, like, say, driving for Uber. That's maybe an easy way to make a few bucks here and there, but, you know. Like you're beholden to whatever it is that Uber decides to do, and so once that platform goes down, once they decide to start paying their drivers less, once they uh, say, "Hey, by the way, you used to be able to drive whenever you wanted to," now actually, in order to maintain your position without getting flagged, uh, you're going to have to you're going to have to offer this X mini number of rides a week, or what about on the weekends? Right, uh, there's a lot of folks who don't want to work on the weekends, but what if you know, Uber or Lyft? They, what if they say, "Hey," You, you, you have to drive for at least three hours every weekend. Otherwise, you get flagged, that kind of thing. You don't have a whole lot of say when it comes to different things like that. Uh, and so, yeah, again, the difference there is that you're beholden to the rules and the different stipulations that some of those gig platforms are require, requiring of you.
0: I think it's helpful to see gig work as a building block, right? Not as like the end goal. And if it is that stepping stone to get you to that freelance work that you're actually looking to have on your own under your own shingle, I think that's a good goal to have. And I think that's a way that you can work up to it. And I think what Matt was saying there too at the end is like a really important point that oftentimes gig workers are beholden to a certain company. And who not, like Uber tomorrow could say, guess what? Like those bonuses that we're paying drivers for, for driving a certain amount of hours in a week, they're cut in half or they're non-existent. And so I think sometimes in that gig economy, it looks good when you see some of those big numbers on paper. This is the bonus we're paying drivers if you drive 30 hours this week, and then it, you fail to hit that point. Or you're tying yourself very closely in, in many of these cases with a, a specific company or two who don't don't necessarily have your business uh, best interest at heart. And their shareholders might suddenly start demanding You need to start turning a profit. And that's going to mean, you know what, we're we're going to start siphoning off those tips that you were giving to the drivers. I mean, who knows what the future holds and what your relationship to that company is. It's certainly not uh, the same relationship that you have when we're talking about like traditional W-2 employment.
2: Matt, one thing you guys, I've heard you say, which is very clear here, is the more that it's a one-for-one exchange of time for money, the probably worse the deal is for you in the gig economy. Sure.
1: Yeah. If you're not working, you're not earning. And and I think oftentimes the goal of starting your own business, uh, even being a freelancer is the ability to, at some point, turn that freelance job that you, where you've kind of struck it out on your own to be able to transition that into something where you have a little more sway, where you have maybe say, you know, you're, you're contracted and maybe there's a, a small fee that you're getting every single month just to be available to a specific company because they love your work that much. And so those are not things that you can do <laughs> with, uh, with Uber. Keeping that in mind is that, yeah, it's, it's, that's, I mean, and that's one of the differences too, between gig work, uh, and to be honest, even freelance work, Versus owning your own business, Uh, when you have ownership in something and and you have the ability to scale beyond what you are able to do as an individual, that is a true business, something that you could potentially sell. And there's nothing wrong with freelancers. You know, we're not at all trying to knock that because folks like it. I mean, we have a very high view of work as well, and folks like to work. There's a lot of value that you can bring to the lives of other people by doing work. But but all that to say, yes, uh, when you're gig working, if you are not working, you are not earning.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's that's a real problem, right? Consistently trading time for money—that is like the whole point of the fire movement. And uh, I think what I don't know, Matt, what you're trying to say is we we love the financial independence uh, route, and we think people should be seeking to become financially independent really early on in their lives. But uh, that work still holds an important place uh, for when it comes to meaning for so many people. And finding something that you enjoy uh, work-wise is like a benefit that many of us have these days. So let's take advantage of it. I want to say too, like what Matt was talking about with building a business. Like I, I have a friend, and he recently retired, and he had his own cleaning business, and so, and he was literally the person most of the time going over to clean other people's houses. Uh, but over the years, he had built up this book of business. So it wasn't just that he was trading his time for money in the the fact that like he got paid who knows one hundred fifty dollars to go clean a three bedroom house, and then he's like, sweet, this pays for my bills. But he's also uh, at the same time, building a business that's worthwhile if somebody else wants to buy it. And in the gig economy, you're not doing that. You're not building up really anything of value. You are consistently trading your time for money and you don't have anything really, let's say, after eight, 10 years of doing that to show for it that you could sell at some point. If you start a blog, if you start a podcast, if you start, there are so many things that you could start uh, and make money in the here and now while you're creating that. But then you're also building up value, that business becomes worth something. And in the gig economy, it just doesn't.
2: Matt, let's let's take the other side. Let's be contrarians here. You guys brought up the medical metaphor, how sometimes the cure is worse than the illness. But people go to the gig economy for a reason. Tell us about some of the pros before we go back to the cons.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, we we kind of touched on this, but the ability to immediately start earning money. I mean how great is that (laughs) that's amazing the fact that we live in a world where i mean literally i could download an app right now create a profile and some you know some platforms you have to make sure let's say if you're driving you got to make sure you get your car checked out that kind of thing i guess a lot of times you can immediately create a profile list out your specialties and start bidding on projects on fiverr seeing if you can get out there and start immediately making money Maybe like uh, 100, 200 years ago, you, you used to be able to do that. Just like walk up to just the pharmacy on the corner kind of thing and just like, hey, excuse I'll me, start- sir. I'd like a job, please. Yeah, <laughs> I'll start sweeping the floor. Sure. But uh, we've kind of progressed beyond that. And there's this whole stretch of period where like, you can just walk in somewhere and start working and immediately get paid. That's, Although we are
0: seeing a little bit more of that right yeah. now because of COVID, <laughs> the COVID economy and Gosh. the need for labor.
1: They're like, we'll take
0: anyone just come yes, and work, you know,
1: as long as you are breathing. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, but now the ability for folks to be able to do that literally from their bed when they wake up that morning and, you know, literally have money in their accounts by that night, that's huge. And that's definitely a benefit that a lot of folks are going to find themselves in need of. And and we're we're kind of hating on gig work a little bit here. But that's certainly one of the benefits uh, that can serve a lot of folks.
0: And I think that instant income, Matt, that you alluded to is one of those things that a lot of people benefit from. That's that's We don't necessarily think of it as like a wonderful thing that you get paid that day for the work that you did. Uh, I think it's... Oh, I'm it's, fine with
1: it. I don't, yeah. It's not a
0: bad thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing, but I think it, it, it can be like a drug for people, <laughs> right? If you get that money in your account every single day after you're done working, it can actually create a cycle where well, you are living paycheck to paycheck, right, whereas yeah. previously you didn't feel as dependent on that day's wages. You had a small gap between the work uh, when you did the work and when you got paid. But I think, interestingly enough, like that instant income ability is actually going to change the way people outside of the gig economy get paid. I think it already is. I think employers are and and some of these like new online banks are starting to say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna give you your paycheck two days early. So this kind of concept of getting people. The money uh, that they have earned more quickly, I think more and more traditional employers are going to latch onto that as well, and it's 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 not a bad thing. It's just one of those things that we as individuals have to behaviorally recognize. Well, what's our te- what's my tendency if I'm getting paid five times a week versus once every two weeks? It does potentially leave us more vulnerable.
1: Yeah, I love it because it allows folks to immediately see the fruits of their labor, right? And so there's an immediacy to the work that you just accomplished. It's essentially putting you on the most extreme commission. You talk about sales, uh, you know, you're, you're eating what you kill kind of thing. And so that's why I love it. I love that it ties work to making a living. I hate, though, what you said, Joel. I, I, yeah, 100%. The fact that there are individuals who are planning out their lives and they're not take, uh, allowing for any margin at all. Yeah, I, I definitely don't like how it makes folks more dependent on just what is immediately at, at hand, as opposed to just allowing there to be some space and, and for for there to be some more margin in someone's life and for them to have a plan. That is certainly something that's missing from somebody receiving <laughs> pay like hours later.
0: We, we quickly get used to things, Matt. Yeah. The, the, the oh, child yeah. tax credit is one of those things. The uh, student loan forbearance is one of those things. That's, we, we are still talking about that on the show regularly, Let, letting How to Money listeners know, I hey, guess that, that's that's ending pretty soon. You got to be prepared. Like, Put that back in your budget. You know, start start getting prepared now because, uh, yeah, if someone takes that away from us or starts putting money into our account, it's human nature to just quickly get accustomed to that. And the child tax credit is supposed to be limited time only. Like, uh, obviously, that remains to be seen. But when that ends, like, how how are we gonna? How are the people who've been receiving it going to handle that? If that does eventually end, that is one of those things where, yeah, behaviorally, it can be, it sounds nice to get paid on a daily basis to get paid right after you work. But behaviorally, is that the best thing for us? Like, I I don't know. I don't think so.
2: Matt, one of the things I think that we're not talking about is that we as consumers and also as small business people Definitely benefit from the gig economy, right? I, I know Joel doesn't, but when you or I order our food from our favorite restaurant, and it all of a sudden shows up because a driver has picked it up and brought it to us, or as we, as small business people, like we need a voiceover for something on our podcast, and we jump on Fiverr to find someone. I mean, there's some definite benefits from the non-worker side, like oh, sure, us as consumers, we we use these workers. Sure, absolutely, and and don't you dare
1: clump me in with you. Uh, <laughs> I so I know Joel. He's ordered food before to my house while he once. was babysitting over here. Actually, I and, tested uh, it out once. Never again. That
0: person literally dropped the sweet tea on your front porch. And it was really sticky. <laughs> I felt
1: bad for that. I did. Uh, but uh, so yeah. That being said, I've I've never ordered food. How dare you? But uh, <laughs> no. For, for, from the user's standpoint, yes. Yeah, I mean, the ability to course correct. Right. Say, oh my gosh, we need to be putting way more time towards this uh this aspect of the business. Oh, that's huge. We did this recently uh and hired somebody out for some uh some WordPress backend work, you know, for our site. And that was amazing and that was money well spent. And so certainly I don't know. I guess you can make the argument that we're a part of the problem at the same time. You know, on one hand we're we're up here sitting on our you know on our high horse talking about how people shouldn't be doing this, but at the same time we're like, quick, send a message out (laughs) and see if we can get this problem solved. I, I think, and it, it, a lot of the responsibility comes down to the individual, though, uh, and it, it often is going to take uh, a willingness on the participant's part, the the one doing the work, to th- think ahead. I mean, this is why we talk about this because we want, like, the individual who we, we, we hired for some WordPress work. I hope that over time he is able to build up a book of business, uh, and he's able to say, "Hey," and I know different uh, platforms have different restrictions on on how you're able to communicate, but. I would love for to, to be able to go to him directly and for him to have uh, a book of business, a, a number of clients that he regularly does work with, that he's able to make a living off of. And so, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a double-edged sword for sure from the standpoint of it being good and evil, but also from the standpoint of those who are purchasing versus those who are getting paid.
0: Taking an Uber, by the way, or a Lyft is, I remember the days of taxis, but barely. <laughs> and I just remember them being a huge pain. I do wish, I don't know that the pay was more fair. For, for gig workers. And I know that it's hard to make ends meet, uh, uh, that being your full-time gig. That being said, there are some of those other pros, and that's not necessarily what most or, or all gig workers are looking to do. In fact, like I think something like 85% of gig workers make less than $500 a month. So I think the way most people are using these platforms is as part-time work, is as supplemental income. They're not depending it on it for full time pay. So it, it just it'd be like similar to talking about a fifteen year old. Getting a job at a fast food restaurant, and uh, we talk about a living wage, and it's like, well, is it, that's not necessarily what that 15 year old is looking for? Like, should the minimum wage go up? That's an interesting question, <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's one of those things where that might not be as big of a problem as it seems because maybe that's not what most people who are offering their services up to these platforms are looking for. Maybe most of them are just looking for that supplemental income, and if that's the case, then I think they're they're doing a, a decent
2: job of doing that. Joe, we mentioned the financial independence retire early community, and there are plenty of fire practitioners who do their nine to five and look for supplemental income to get them to a certain net worth or to retire early faster. And for those people, maybe building up long term business is not nearly as important as hey, I just want a few extra bucks in the bank every year, every month. For sure, yeah, and and
0: yeah, so that's why I think when we talk about um, you know maybe using the word insidious in the title. Made it sound like it was it was going to be all doom and gloom about the gig economy, and there's there certainly some things that you need to watch out for. And if you're looking to it for a long term career path, that's not what you're going to find. Like, there's not really room for advancement with most of these companies. Uh, you know, you you do have control over when and how you work, but if you're an Uber driver, like you're you're probably not getting that promotion to district supervisor or something like that. That's just not how it works. And so you have to kind of know what you're getting into, what you're looking for, what your needs are. And I have, I gave one lift ride in my life uh, and I've told the story on the show, but it was because there was literally a thousand dollars signing bonus and they didn't do a good job of laying out the stipulations. But it was like, if you just give one ride the next like week, we'll give you a thousand dollars. And so I literally gave one ride and I made a thousand dollars for that ride. So I have been a gig worker, although that was the lucrative <laughs> form of gig work that isn't open to many. Yeah, they, they like quickly changed the nature of that agreement. But yeah, I, I think you have to know, like, what are you trying to get out of it? And if you're assuming that this is a good method, a good route for you to take for a long-term career, then then this isn't that. But if it's a way to be able to turn it off and turn it on whenever you want and to be able to make some money doing that, then I think it's, it's kind of perfect for that. And from the comfort of your own home too.
2: We are talking with Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix, who are the co-hosts of the How to Money podcast, and we are discussing the insidious nature of gig work. I'm going to take a short break. This is Doc G, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down, but the good news is... After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Have you heard of public.com? If you haven't, it is an app that is revolutionizing investing I really wish this was around when I started my investing journey because it would have made it so much easier. There are a few things I really like about public.com. One is you can start with small slices of shares, invest in what you believe in with any amount. Number two, it's a social platform. So there are a lot of people who are on the app and you can exchange ideas and insights with a community of investors and build your portfolio with confidence. And last but not least, it's revolutionary. You can invest in things like cryptocurrencies. I know for me, that was always a big question. How do you get into the crypto game? With public.com, you can invest with confidence. They have built-in educational features that help you learn as you go. One of which is it helps you invest safely with volatility reminders that let you know when investments like crypto, which we were just talking about, are a little bit riskier. Check them out at public.com, start investing with as little as a dollar and get a free slice of stock up to $50 when you join public.com today. Visit public.com slash EAI to download the app and sign up. That's public.com slash EAI. This is valid for US residents 18 and older subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. This is not investment advice. We are back with Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix. They are the co-hosts and creators of the How to Money podcast. 20 million downloads later, they are still energized by the mission of reaching people with practical money-saving advice. Matt, we've been talking about the pros a little bit just to give the other side a fair shake, but let's jump into the cons. I want to talk about a few specifically. I feel like we live in a work-all-the-time culture. And Uh, I'm wondering how you feel that the gig economy has affected that. Well,
1: so on one hand, you could say that, no, this is a great thing because it allows somebody who, say, maybe wants to spend more time with their kids while they're awake. It allows them to take advantage of that time. And then once they go down to to sleep, it allows them to maybe do some jobs there uh, after hours. But... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, the ability for it to constantly be there for it to, I mean, again, with most of these different gigs being app based, they're on your phone, which means they are in your pocket, which means you are just one swipe away, one face recognition uh, unlock <laughs> from seeing a, a message that says, hey, basically, would you like to earn more money? and It takes it takes a level of discipline and uh, it takes time, I think, for certain individuals to get used to the idea of saying no to more money. And so uh, I think that's one of the one of the lessons you learn as an entrepreneur is that sometimes if you're fortunate enough, there is going to be more work than you can actually take on. And when it comes to the gig economy and these different platforms, there is always going to be the ability to take one more job. And so, for those who have maybe a more addictive personality, some you know somebody who just maybe they just love the work, uh, they really find a lot of uh, <laughs> fulfillment. It's going to be hard for those individuals to say. No, and so that's a difficult lesson I think for anybody to learn. But specifically, when these a lot of these apps they're designed, to, you know, to where it's essentially like a game. And the higher your star rating, the the more reviews you get. The uh, the higher your literal dollar balances within your account it feels good. There are multiple ways that you're getting those little dopamine hits. And when you see that little message pop up, uh, I think that can be incredibly tempting for somebody to be able to turn off that work. It's going to feel like that they're on the clock just uh, constantly. And I think it can be difficult to kind of find that balance within your life if that's the case.
0: Yeah. And you're even getting pinged for that next ride if you're an Uber driver before you finish the one before that. (laughs) And so you're like, I guess I'll keep going. Uh, you don't even you have to really be intentional to build in those breaks into your time, and you have to be really intentional, even if it's just side income, to not let work in general overtake your life. And yeah, it's like great to make money on the side, but um, if you're completely losing any semblance of work life balance, then I would say that's that's negative. And I will say too that that tendency these days to 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 make work to allow work to to creep in more and more. It's not just a, a result of gig work. It's a result of everyone's day jobs. Whether you run your own business or you work for a traditional traditional employer with like email on your phone with Slack notifications. And like let's say your boss is like, hey, yeah, we should put Slack on your phone so you can be responding at 7 30 at night. Yeah, uh, you're like, what? Like, but that is that is like feeling like it's the norm these days for so many people. So that is that constant attachment is something that You know, we all have to be more proactive to carve out in our lives. Whether you're a gig worker or traditionally employed, you have to say, like, "Listen, (laughs) these are the times I'm putting down that phone," or "Listen, uh, boss, hey, I'm going to work my butt off between the hours of eight and five, or whatever it may be." But these other times of the day, like, I'm not going to be responsive, and that's part of the deal. Um, And if that doesn't work for you, then I'm, you know, going to have to start looking for something else. I don't know, but you you do have to be proactive, whether it's gig economy or traditional employment, because. That creep is just happening for all of us these
2: days. Joe, you make an interesting point. When I open up an email from my boss or I get on my work Slack channel, it is very definitely and clearly work. On the other hand, when Matt was talking about the gamification of some of these apps it's almost like it's dressed in something else, right? A lot of times we don't even realize that, no, this is just your boss calling on you, but we don't look at it that way because there are the points and the the scores and the ratings and those type of things. And even just the social pressure,
0: right? Uh, Where it's like, well, Sheila over there in HR is like always responding. And I, I I distinctly remember this when I was traditionally employed, they would have these quarterly giveaways where different workers would get, $100 a uh, $100 for doing something above and beyond and it was one of those things where the things that were always held up as uh, the the folks who were always you know making making that extra money and then uh, their praises were being sung were the folks who were like they came in on the weekends and they slogged through and they did this 9 to 1 shift i'm like i'm willing to forsake that $100 because my <laughs> weekends are kind of pretty sacred for me and my family and it's it's one of those things where e- even just those subtle or not so subtle hints in the workplace are like guess what? If you, you know, if you work the 50 hours, if you, if you work more than the average person, that's how you get ahead. And I, I don't think that's what it takes to get ahead. I think you can have both, but um, it's becoming less and less the case that your employer is going to look out for you in that regard. You have to look out for yourself.
2: Matt, let's talk about benefits because I think one of the more insidious things about the gig economy is it does take certain responsibilities out of employers' hands. Let's talk health care. I mean, one thing most of us do is we get our health care through our employed work. What happens to the gig worker?
1: Yeah, it's not offered, right? And so that's just one of those expenses that's associated with that gig work that oftentimes just gets ignored. And so uh, it's, I think it's one of those things where, I don't know, the the, the shiny facade of the app, you see the commercials or, or you, know, you go to the website and man, it looks really good. I could be that guy. <laughs> They don't talk about the things that oftentimes we will find in traditional employ- employment: health benefits, other benefits like work-sponsored retirement plans. There are lots of these <laughs> very tangible benefits. I-, I was about to call them intangible, but no these are these are truly <laughs> tangible benefits that affect not only how much money we have in the bank, uh, the ones and the zeros, but it also affects our literal health. It has an impact on our physical bodies, and so. Oftentimes when we don't take those things into account, it's easy to just kind of gloss over those things as like, well, how important really is that? And I don't know, maybe if you're in between traditional jobs and maybe you're taking a couple of weeks to figure out what you want to do, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Uh, But if you are looking at months of doing this and even years, there's going to be a a serious downside to going with gig work and and, and realizing that uh, there are some of these additional benefits that you're completely missing out on
0: going back to the harder to stop working thing well if you do want to take some vacation that's that's on you like you don't get paid vacation time when you're when you're doing work through any of these apps and so that can be really difficult too it's it's really hard to say i'm going to take a week off <laughs> or two weeks god forbid in the you know to to vacation with my family to just to not work it it can feel almost impossible to make that decision when you don't have an outlet that you're going to be paid to be able to take that time off so that that makes it I think even more difficult for lots of folks.
2: And Joel, I know over at How to Money and certainly here at Earn and Invest, we're big fans of retirement savings. We like things like 401ks and we like even more 401k matches. And mm-hmm. uh, if you want to make a living in the gig economy, you kind of have to you know, say goodbye to that stuff.
0: Yeah, you got to be really intentional <laughs> about... Your own finances and your your own investments, because yeah, nobody is offering you a match. Nobody is even offering you access to an account, and so you have to say, "All right, well, I, I've got to figure this out, and I've got to uh, open up my own Roth IRA." Or you, there's just there's just aren't any easy options for the gig worker to, you know, to start funneling some of that paycheck into retirement savings, which is, it's just, that's the easy button for so many people. If you hit a percentage amount on the screen through your employers, the, the website they've set up with the, you know, with Vanguard or Fidelity or whoever it is, it's, that, that's an easy thing. And every time you get a raise, you bump that up another percentage or two. And pretty soon you're cooking, like you're, you're moving along and you're investing a lot of money. But for gig workers, it's like, no, you have to be a complete self-starter and you have to figure that. Out all on your own. Set up your own account, and then you know start uh, uh, putting money into it every single month. And that's just that's another behavioral hurdle that gig workers have to overcome. Much less the the monetary hurdle of like, am I making enough to actually be able to put this money aside? But also, uh, do I do I have the ability to continue to put that money aside for myself, realizing that nobody else is going to help me with that or do it for me?
1: sure but let's uh, so let's look at the glass half full which <laughs> which is yes so your employer isn't providing you a match that's literal actual dollars that you're never going to see that's free money uh were you to invest and get that match however the glass half full side of things i like the fact that it puts the responsibility on individuals and so to the extent that it pushes individuals to figure out their own money uh to the to the extent that it allows individuals to say you know what you know, I'm, I used to get a 401k. I'm not getting that anymore. I'm doing this gig work. Maybe it's time for me to open up my, my Roth IRA. And all of a sudden there's, you know, socking away 500 bucks a month when that's before that's something that they maybe never would have done. Uh, I love the, you know, again, this is maybe one of the sides and it kind of we can chalk it up to independence again, but I love the independence and the ability that individuals are going to have uh, when it comes to figuring out how to handle some of these some of these things on their own. It's, I mean, honestly, same thing with healthcare. Uh, healthcare is really expensive, but like, it, I think back to fifteen years ago, roughly, when that was the last W two job that I had when I had mm-hmm. benefits included. After doing a little bit of research, so I was looking at quitting. Uh, my wife and I were going to start our own business, and so healthcare. That's one of the things you look at. And when I got a quote for what health insurance was going to cost me as a Mm -hmm. 23-year-old, and I realized how much more affordable it was than what I was currently paying with the group plan that I was with at my work, even if I had stayed on board with that employer uh, as a graphic designer, I would have opted out of the health insurance because it was so expensive. And so that was, for me, it was very eye-opening. It helped me to realize, wait a minute, there certainly are in well, I'll mention to you, I wasn't getting any sort of employer match. <laughs> so the benefits for me weren't as uh, as enticing. But it helped uh, to open my eyes and to realize, you know what, like, this is actually working out for the, you know, for the best anyway, it's better for me right now to learn these things on my own, and to uh, and to kind of step out of being taken care of by my by my employer
0: <laughs> by papa employer <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and, and and a lot a lot of people will find themselves depending on you know what their actual income is with uh, pretty cheap access to healthcare on on the healthcare exchange on healthcare.gov so yeah it, it depends on your specific family's income but there are a whole lot of folks who are in the gig economy who will find that their healthcare isn't going to cost them that much money so that that's a, a bright spot too. The the other side of that though is you have to have the savings because how high is that deductible? And so um, yeah, it, maybe the premium isn't that much, but you might need to have an extra eight ten grand <laughs> aside in savings to pay that deductible when it pops up, or yeah, when you hope those healthcare expenses arise throughout the
2: year. I love the optimism that Matt has that uh, because you have to manage it yourself, you'll look into it. And probably with healthcare, you will because you don't have as much of a choice. But I also see a certain percentage of the population saying, oh, no 401k offered. I guess I just won't do it. (laughs) Right.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, I remember talking to a pastor who had opted out of social security for religious reasons, which is available to members of the clergy. And I was like, so you're taking that extra money. and?" You're like your Roth is baller, right? And he's right. Like, <laughs> and he was like, "Now, what are you talking about?"
1: <laughs>
0: uh. And so, yeah, there is that. There is that thing where, if you use that benefit uh, effectively, then it's great. Like if you're putting aside that money, that uh, what twelve and a half percent, whatever it is, it goes toward the the FICA tax. If you're putting all that money that you're keeping in your pocket into your uh, retirement savings for your future you're going to gonna crush it. like, And you're, you're probably going to outperform what social security would provide you over the long haul. <laughs> but the problem is then most people, a lot of people won't take that step.
2: So Matt, we've now talked about the pros and the cons. Who should be considering gig work right now? Like, are there prototypical people who right now, it would be a good thing for them?
1: I mean, certainly we kind of touched on this, but I mean, for individuals who are just in a position to where they just need to make some money right now, uh, I that's, again, one of the benefits of gig work. But I mean, yeah, there are, you know, there's different benefits that the government has rolled out uh, beyond policy as individuals. Hopefully, a lot of folks have emergency funds set up where they can float by for a little bit. But I mean, for the person who needs to make money right now, I think that's certainly the, you know, that's the prototypical person who needs to be considering gig work um, and not to... And, and to not see it almost as like a death sentence, I guess. Like, like, I guess it, I, I want to point out the fact that like you can get in and do it for a little while and get out. I don't know. I, maybe this is just me being a geriatric millennial talking, but like <laughs> it feels like there is this. Oh, I've got to commit to this thing and I'm going to be loyal to this company. Nah, <laughs> like that's not, that's not how these things work. Uh, the ability to jump in and jump out and make money as you need it. That's one of the, one of the benefits of it. And that's something that's important to keep in mind.
0: I think it's important to mention, too, that not all gig work is created equal. And some of them are less transactional, where it's literally dollars for time. And so back in the day, I uh, there's I think, believe there's two companies that are legit. By the way, anybody who's looking into getting their car wrapped with an advertisement to make money on the side, just know that there are a lot of scammy companies out there in this realm. So don't fall prey to them. <laughs> but Rappify is one of the actual legitimate companies in this space and so you can depending on your driving habits even if you're just driving to and from work every day but you've got 35 mile commute in a major city you can make some serious money i'm talking like three four hundred dollars a month by putting a wrap on your car i i basically have zero pride uh and so i was totally willing to do that uh, and with, like when, when they first uh, sent me an email about like all right the, the first gig popped up for rapify it was literally to do an advertisement for the show that Honey Boo Boo's mom uh, <laughs> had on like TLC or something like that. And I was like, I am not above that. I will totally put that on my car if it means that every mile I drive, I'm getting paid. And so that kind of gig work is a little bit different, right? Uh, than than where I'm literally just trading time for money. It's like I was already going to drive that car anyway, and I did make side income from it. So. Those are, or let's say you're uh, renting your car out on a site like Turo. Right now is an ideal time to be doing that. And you know, when, when you look at the stats, something along the lines of uh, cars, cars sit idle that you own, something like 96, 97% of the yeah. time. Most of the time you're either, it's parked at your house or it's parked at your job or you're going to get groceries. <laughs> but all the rest of the time, your car just sits there. And so there are so many options for you to maybe make money with some of the things that you already own. I think that uh, element of the gig economy is really cool. We've talked on the show. I can't, the site is—I'm blanking on the the name of it right now. We'll get it to you for the show notes, Doc. But but basically, you can rent out baby gear, and a lot of people in our audience have taken to that. And so, if someone's traveling from Atlanta to Colorado, and they're like, "I don't want to lug along the the car seat and uh, you know the the high chair, all that kind of stuff," well, I can rent it once I get there, and I don't have to go through all that hassle. So there's all these other ways that the gig economy is actually opening up p- ways for people to make income based on owning things as opposed to literally just trading time for money. Which is, I think that's that's one of the coolest aspects of of the gig economy these days.
1: Yeah, putting assets to use that you already have. Uh, and that, that was baby quip, by the way. Baby quip, okay. Uh,
2: like you want to, you know, deck out and quip your baby. Uh. <laughs> Matt or Joel, are there any other good resources if you either find yourself needing the gig economy right now or want to do some of these less time for money type gig work? Are there places you can go to find out about them?
1: Yeah. I mean, so like when you're looking at working from home, flexjobs.com, I mean, that's a great site and they've got lots of different resources there. Um, But then for kind of the more like actual gig jobs, side hustle and that's, you know, they spell hustle the hipster way where they leave up <laughs> all the vowels. So H-U-S-L, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but that's another great site. And they review some of the different, you know, different gigs out there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's really important just to think through what it is. Like as you're looking at all the options out there, it's going to feel like you just walked up to a, a you know, a gig work buffet. And it's like, oh, my gosh, look at all these. Crazy things I could do for money, <laughs> uh, but it's important to think through. Like, okay, well, it's like yes, you could do that, and and yes, this is an option for you. Uh, but just because it's available to you, just because it's a thing that's there, doesn't necessarily mean you should jump at that opportunity. It's it's worth thinking through you you know your personality and and what it is that fuels you, the, the different things that get you excited. And again, you know, I just thought of this too. You you, you asked a second ago about different folks who could seriously benefit from gig work. I think somebody ju- who just has no idea what they want to do and who is just looking for something different. Uh they you know, they're not totally sure where they want to go, they just know that they don't want to do what they've been doing. And the ability to hop on some of the different platforms and try things out is incredibly valuable, right? Just to kind of literally dip your toe in for maybe one ride like Joel did, that's <laughs> that's very attractive to somebody I think who has no idea what they want to sign up for for the next four years, 10 years, that kind of thing. And so the ability to just try something out, I think is great. Especially if you can make a $1,000 doing it. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs>
0: right. Exactly. I'll do that every day of the week. Uh, and I, I think that, yeah, the fact that gig work exists is mostly a good thing. I think maybe in this conversation, people might assume that we want gig work banned or we want like Uber taken off the app store or something like that because it's Taking advantage of people, um, and I'm not not to say that there aren't some issues between Uber drivers and the company, right? There there are definitely issues there that hopefully will will be resolved over time. But I think that the fact that it exists is a good thing. It's a good thing for people like Matt and I who need to hire someone on Fiverr for website help. But it's also, I think, a good thing as long as people use it properly and don't and put it in its place and they don't assume that you know gig work is is going to be uh, a great career for an extended period of time if you kind of um, have the right mindset and approach to gig work then uh, i think there are a lot of benefits that we can reap from it at different times in our lives um, and then there might be times uh, in your life where you're like i, I would you're, you're not even considering it it's not even on your radar there might be other times where you're like, hey, you know what, gig work for me for right now, I'm going back to school and I can't, my hours are odd or whatever. And I just need to be able to work when I want to work to make some money. It's like there are a lot of people when it makes sense to have a gig, a gig job and turn that spigot on, like I said, when you want to and turn it off when you don't. Uh, But yeah, you just have to be, I think, have the right expectations going in.
1: Makes me think of like fast food, like you don't always want to be eating fast food. It's not the the best for your health. There are other arguments against fast food as well. But man, when you need to grab a quick burrito or a taco, you know, or a, like a hamburger or something like that, like it's just incredibly convenient. It's great. You don't have to go home. And, and it's like a it's like having a Snickers bar in the, in the glove. Well, not a Snickers bar. They melt <laughs> like a, a granola bar in your in your uh, glove compartment. Right. Because it's like, man, I, I do not have time to stop today. Great. Just grab that thing. You know, hungry? Why wait? Like, isn't that the Snickers uh, yeah. <laughs> Snickers thing? But uh, you don't want to do that continually. It certainly works as a stopgap. It, it allows you to explore and maybe get some other things done uh, with very little additional commitment. But it is not something that you want to, to rely on completely over time. It's going to have a toll not only on your physical health when it comes to fast food, but your financial health. Uh, and uh, it could, I think, lead to some serious negative consequences that
2: we don't often think about. Yeah. And I think it all comes down to intention. And that's what I'm really gleaning from this conversation. When you take that medicine for the restless leg syndrome, the intention is that it helps the restless leg syndrome, not that it causes you to go out and gamble. And the same with gig work. Like when you go at it with the right intentions, like I'm going to use it to supplement my income so I can retire earlier, or I can go on this vacation and then I'm going to stop and continue my nine to five. That makes sense. Or I just lost my job and I need to make sure I have money in my pocket this month while I'm searching for another job. Mm. Or, I want to build the skill, and I'm not ready yet to start my own business, but I can go on Fiverr for a month or two, get my skills up, and then start creating a book of business that can sustain me. Gig work unto itself is not bad. I guess it makes sense that we just have to be sure we know what we're using it for and be thoughtful. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode, by asking you both what's up next in your life and where we can find you. Joel, let me start with you. What's going on, and how can we get in touch with you if you want to?
0: Sure. So what's going on is Matt and I, we recently, as of early this year, became full-time podcasters, and uh, we are just working our butts off to make sure that we create good podcast every week for people to listen to so you can find find that wherever you're listening to earn and invest you can check out our website howtomoney.com for more about us uh but yeah like it feels like we're living the dream it took a while to get here it took some some of those you know late nights uh podcasting up in Matt's dining room but we are like we're we're doing it and we're just grateful and thankful to be able to do what we love like with your best buddy i mean what's what's better than that so that's what that's what we're up to yeah. What's, I, what's
1: up next is uh, drinking a delicious craft beer. I mean, uh, <laughs> we we do that on uh, every episode except for our, our Friday Flat episodes. We are trying to taper a little bit uh, our consumption. But and, I mean, the reason we do that uh, is because we're trying to find that balance. We're trying to strike that balance between making sure that we're making smart financial decisions for the long term uh, um, well, while at the same time living life a little bit now. And so we think that finding that balance sort of like you said doc with gig work being intentional with how it is that you're approaching um all the decisions decisions in your life but certainly your your financial decisions uh that's a huge part of uh the mission behind how to money uh and to get a little personal joel hope you don't mind me sharing this joel's going to be taking the weekend off with his wife celebrating 14 years no 11. 11. (laughs) He he tried
2: to give you three extra years.
0: (laughs) My wife is so glad that it hasn't been 14 yet. Oh, God.
1: Yeah. Uh, So they're they're looking forward to that.
2: And uh, I
0: got hike to some waterfalls in uh, North Carolina. should be beautiful.
1: Yeah. We got family coming in town. Uh, It's uh, looking forward to
2: a, a full weekend of some family life. Well, this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Joel Larsgaard and Matt Altmix that's a wrap. Hey there, just wanted to remind you before we get to the after show, if you've been wanting to learn about real estate, there is no better resource than the Real Estate and Financial Independence podcast with Coach Carson. Here, Chad, aka The Coach, tells you about real estate. He gives you the tips and tricks, but also has guests people who are proof of concept of how to make this asset class bulk up your financial independence journey. It is an excellent podcast. I suggest you check it out. Just go to coachcarson.com. Again, that's coachcarson.com. It is the real estate and financial independence podcast. You don't want to miss it. Sweet. All right. I um, love having you guys on it's so easy it's just like hey. butter I can just <laughs> throw out a question and you guys just go well, that was super fun, man, and yeah, it's we a great appreciate topic. you I having mean, us on. I hate to—I pretty much, you know, stole it from you because it was such a great <laughs> topic, and I heard you guys talking about. It. I'm like, dude, no, I gotta I'm, do that. Nice. I'm, it's that's
1: really good to hear because sometimes we, you know, we kind of come up with ideas and we're just not sure. We're like, man, are yeah. people gonna like this? And certain topics we've talked about before, but I think it—the ability to talk about topics in a new way, in in a way that connects with people with where they are currently. That's our goal, and so whatever it takes to get that information out in front of folks, uh, and the ability to talk about works, you know, work workplace benefits, it's difficult to do an entire show talking about make it sexy workplace benefits. (laughs) But you know what? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you talk about gig work and how that's one of the downsides. uh, That's uh, you're able to package it in a way that gets folks interested in it, and before they realize it they're forming their own thoughts and opinions as to you know what their
2: workplace is offering them and how that's maybe more valuable than they think. And what I like about your guys' show, and this is not new, you've always done this, but it, it's abundantly clear, is you've got this nice mix of research. So clearly, like when you come to the show, you've totally researched it, but it doesn't sound like all you've done is gone and learned about something you didn't know about. So it's the mix of taking the research, which you've clearly done, but then mixing it in with your own personal stories and what you've kind of learned from the podcast. So It ends up being very fluid, which I like. Nice. Thanks, man. That's, yeah, that's
0: the goal. Cause there's certainly, you know, these topics, it's like, we have a, some knowledge. And then it's like, how do we expand that and incorporate some statistics and then some personal stuff uh, to try to make it well-rounded. That's, that's kind of like exactly what we're shooting for. <laughs> so the fact yeah. you no, it, it recognize comes it means a lot. So it definitely
2: yeah. comes across. Um We appreciate that. And congrats, yeah. man. 20 million downloads is no joke. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Not, not <laughs> unexpected, but crazy. It, it is definitely crazy.
0: unexpected on our end. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you guys that you were able to kind of pull the trigger. Um Remind me, Joel Clark Howard. Didn't he stop or is he still going? So he's still podcasting, but
0: he's done. uh, He, he retired from the radio show in December. And so it was that perfect time. He was like, do you want to stick around? And at this point, the, the the income from this was, was, uh, was more than enough to pay the bills. And so it's like, Love you, but it's time to. It's, it's time, time for me to go. Yeah, it had been 15 yeah. years. Um, my little sister is still there, which is cool. She works on the website and oh, of things, cool. um, and so I stay in touch with everybody over there. And, and they were they were like, "If you ever want to come back, you're welcome to." So yeah, if Matt croaks and the, or the podcast
1: falls apart, like <laughs> I've got <laughs> i got another option. But uh, hopefully, if he, I need to take out that life insurance policy on you before. Yeah, We've they've, joked they've... about taking uh, policies out on each other because right. you uh, well
2: you could right key man yeah. insurance. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's yeah. no joke. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're all going to be legit and everything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what's, Matt, uh, I want to ask you uh, real quick, what's
0: in, uh, what's the latest with earn and invest? And, and yeah, I know you linked up with, with Joe and you guys are kind of yep. like yep. tag team some stuff, but what's, so what's the latest?
2: We're creative partners. Um, I help him write some of the parts for and Benjamins and he helps me kind of organize and coach me a little bit with earn and invest. Um It's been a lot of fun, a lot of collaboration, just a lot of chance. Cause I think ultimately what drives Joe and I both, I think is similar is that we just like the creativity above and beyond Mm -hmm. anything else. Um, so not as much Joe, but me, it's like, I'd rather create a fantastic podcast that no one listens to than a (sighs) mediocre podcast that everyone listens to. Yeah, totally. Like, so I think both of us kind of geek out on that idea of how, how do we, how do we do this and make it sound and look and feel fantastic? for him as well as for me. So Joe just uh, finished writing and is soon going to be dropping his book. It's through Penguin Random House. And that's coming out, I think, January 1st. It's called Stack. So he's really excited about that. Yeah, and we I talked am... with him about that a little bit at FinCon. Uh, at FinCon, FNCon, yeah. And, and I know he's going to be in Atlanta.
0: So we're hoping to be it's at a that. great.
2: It's a great book, too. I've read it. I've interviewed him for it. It's, it's awesome. I heard that I'm, interview. It was great. Yeah, yeah. And so it's. It's. Uh, I'm excited for him. And I'm also working on my own book, which is with Ulysses Press. Um, and I am almost finished with kind of the initial manuscript. So that will then go for deeper editing. The goal is to have that kind of to them by December and then out by June or July next year. All right. And so what's the, do
0: you have a a title? Do you have like a, like what's the direction?
2: So it is, so the direction is kind of the things I've learned about money in life through being a hospice doctor. Um, Ooh. so it kind of ties like angle, the stories of death and dying and what that kind of means to how we look at money today. Cause as you guys know, I feel like we're always fighting this battle of YOLO versus deferred gratification. Yeah. And I feel like we don't answer that very well. And you know, who does answer that dying people? Cause all of a sudden mm. they have like a certain number of amount of time to live. And so they tend to be very thoughtful about what they did and didn't do in their life and what was worth it for them and what wasn't. Um, And I kind of tie that into my own personal story of of my father dying when I was young at eight, as well as becoming a physician and then eventually realizing that maybe that wasn't my road in life. So Mm. those all of those kind of streams pull together to 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 talk about how do we decide, you know, what's worthwhile, what isn't what we spend our money on, what we don't and what a good life looks like
0: Mm. when that comes out. Love it. You need to come on how to money. We'll talk
2: about. I will. It I will that take be... you up on that for sure because I yeah. think my goal is. I really believe this is a conversation that we kind of have. Yeah. But don't fully. So if you think about it, what, where we've placed this book is it's at the intersection of Vicky Robbins' Your Money Your Life and then Bronnie Ware's The Five Regrets of the Dying. Hmm. And so I've
0: not. I've not read The Five Regrets of the Dying, but I'm super like I don't know. Did, did you have you read Being Mortal? or yeah, when, yeah, when Breath yep, Becomes Air. Yep, Did you yep, read that one too? Both okay. them. yep. Those are two of my favorite books. <laughs> I like love I, and good so books the, about dying, so.
2: And so the idea is to take that amazing storytelling about what it feels like and what's happening during end of life and then say, well, but what does that kind of tell us about money and how we lived a life and how we spent it, yeah. right? So well, I have these stories other, of these people. What was that
0: other book, by the way? I want to look that up. Bronnie that
2: Ware. She's really well known for her five regrets of the dying. So it's like five things that the dying tend to regret. Okay. So it's not Bonnie, it's Brawny. Brawny. Okay. All right. But it. it's a, it's a very, very well known book. Um. Okay. And so yeah, the here, I always I can I could tell you the title, but I always have to look it up because the subtitle we've played a, a with it life so much. Transform.
0: But, oh, yours. Yeah. What's the yes. yeah, what's that?
2: So mine is called Taking Stock, a Hospice Doctor's Advice on Financial Independence, Building Wealth, and Living a Regret Free Life.
0: Okay. Nice. nice, man. Well, dude, I'm know. excited to to read that.
2: Yeah, I will I will definitely get in touch with you like I said. Ooh, we will be hopefully moving forward to publishing sometime kind of towards summer of next year. So I'll let you guys know okay. and send you a copy and and I would love to be on the it would be great for me cuz you know for me Certainly the marketing is you know, getting a publisher only means so much nowadays. It's Uh really the marketing. It's getting the word out there and and getting people interested in that topic. So
0: I'm curious what made you go with the publisher because I'm I've just from what I've heard from people who have self-published, they kind of say there there is like a a status symbol tied to being with a publisher but when it comes to like you gotta do it there's some work that they handle on your behalf right but and you know the access to an editor but then uh but then a lot of that the the marketing stuff which is 90 90 of
2: it besides the writing is just it's in your lap either way so there are a few things one is um i've done self-published books about medicine before um And I really wanted to kind of say, okay, once I want to have, it's a goal of mine. It's always been a goal to traditionally publish. So I said, I'd like to actually go the traditional way. I'd like to experience it. I'd like to have that notch in my belt. I'd like to say Mm -hmm. I did it. Um, To me, whether true or not. So you can say legitimacy is having lots of sales, but to me, there's still... I was born with and I grew up in a time where legitimacy legitimacy still meant having a traditional publisher. So yeah. I think that's uh, has been a life goal. So that's one thing. I also do appreciate of course I could hire out, but I like that it comes with a team, right? So you have a book designer, you have an editor, I got an agent. So like I have all I have like a team around me that I instead of people I hired, it's in a sense they've almost hired me, right? Mm -hmm. So the agent wants me to do really well, but I didn't she's I'm not paying her to tell me good things. She actually says why she has to take a risk. Right. She has to take Mm -hmm. me on. She's going to get paid if that book sells. Same with the publisher. They have to like decide they want me and then work on my behalf um, as opposed to just being someone who I'm paying to work for me, if that makes any sense. So, yeah, totally. And I I do like the team aspect because with the publisher, I have like um, a project manager. So she's one of my editors. But then after her, it'll go to a much deeper editing. But then I have my agent who's also editing, giving me ideas. Um, And then I've had some friends and some other like Grant Sabatier really was the one who pushed me to do this. So he's been helping me. So I feel like I have this whole team behind me, which is really, really nice. Um, That's awesome. And a lot of people say, well, if you don't want to go the big publishing route, the small independent publishers are kind of nice because they're a little more personal.
1: Nice. Yeah. I mean... Certainly you're self-driven and disciplined in in and of your, you know, on your own, but the ability to harness that even more, like you said, just kind of slotting in with a team. I mean, that's huge.
2: And and it feels, that feels nice because this is still, I do not, you know, you don't, I don't feel like a really big time author, right? I don't feel like I've written for a long time. You guys know I started with blogging, but writing a blog is a far cry from writing a full, well-written manuscript. Like it's a whole different, as you guys probably know, it's a whole different process your tone, your way of speaking, your way of writing is so different. And I've really appreciated having some of the professional help. Like my writing has improved huge over the last six months just by having people look at it and say, oh, no, no, you don't, you don't want to do it that way. You want to do it this way or, or mm-hmm. way too many words here, or, or this is... The voice here is a little too bloggy, right? It's a little too... Um, <laughs> a little too cash, Jordan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're getting
0: like a, like a masterclass at the same time <laughs> when it comes to and just writing. It's going to help, you, it's gonna help yeah. you craft better podcasts, help
2: you like um, all
0: that stuff. So, And, yeah, and what awesome.
2: most people also say about the book writing process when you do it traditionally is it's a pain in the ass. And as the author, especially if it's your first time, you're like, oh, I got to change this again. I got to do this up again. I got to change this. Oh, they want this to be the title. I don't want that to be the title. But in the end, what I've really heard is most people say, it comes out a lot better than you started. Yeah, yeah. I and so I really look forward to that. Yeah, Dude. it's
1: a completely... I mean, aside from just the voice and some of the technical writing strategies that goes into writing a book compared to a blog. But like, I mean, just the ability to... It's like, hey, no. Like with a blog, you can go back, you can make edits, you can. It's uh, it's a very it's a it's it's alive. Yeah, Whereas yeah. a book, yeah, I mean, you got you you to get it down. It, you have to yes. birth it and let it go. <laughs> yeah, like Jillian talked about that. We talked with her some yeah. uh, at FinCon, and she just talked about treating yeah. it like your kids. And she was approaching it from the standpoint, and she get it. She gave a great talk, um, but she talked about approaching it from the standpoint of not finding your worth in this baby, but instead see it as this right. thing that has grown up and you're going to send it on its way. And there's very little you can do at that point. And it's it's out there. So obviously you want it to be the best version and, of it and, that you can have. And
2: she did it the other way, but did it the right other way. So what she says, she said, I'm going to self-publish, but I'm going to hire a good editor. I'm going to hire a manager. Right. She like kind of got all her ducks in order. And I think it reproduces a lot of what you get when you get with traditional publishing. It's just, again, I wanted to go that way. Totally. Well,
1: I love your angle. I mean, I think that's honestly, that's the most difficult thing, right? Like, like how is this voice going to be different than what's already out there and the ability to specifically tie that with end of life kind of decisions and thoughts, regrets. Uh, I think that's really, really
2: cool. and, and Uh, And I think that'll be received well. Believe it or not, it's, it's critical, certainly of financial independence, actually, in a lot of ways. Um, I think I take a little bit more of a critical look in the sense nice. that that maybe we're looking at some of the wrong things. Yeah. Um, so I thought yes, I feel I feel lucky in the sense that you know there're just not that many personal finance doctor people and certainly not that many mm-hmm. personal finance hospice people. Yeah, right? so we know that that's there's a different a lot of, thing than yeah. physician on
0: fire or whatever. Like that's that's a that, that is a unique uh, yeah. uh, story to tell for sure. And that's he's, and he's that coming at it angle. from like the high net worth angle yeah. and
1: like yeah. Yeah. still Whiteca living frugally. Same thing, uh, You're yeah, coming from to...
0: a completely different
1: perspective of like yeah. emotions, what you value. Yeah. That's that's what I'm hearing you talk about, Doc. I'm, yep. I'm excited to to tear into Definitely. that once you send it along.
2: Tech moves fast.